time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. This is week three of our flirt series. And uh, we're really going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about sexual immorality. We're going to talk about all the things that come along with that. We're going to talk about how to get free from that. We're going to talk about... Uh, When scripture talks about how sexual sin has greater consequences than other sin, we're going to talk about some of that stuff and really get into this in a deep way. So, and at the end, we're going to have a ministry time where I'm going to give you an opportunity and walk you through how to break free from any type of sexual bondage that you may be in, whether it's pornography, whether it's purity, anything like that. We're going to actually go through that at the end tonight. So I'm believing tonight and my prayer has been this week that many of you will find freedom, lasting freedom tonight from this stuff. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. So we really got to start out with like three truths that we have to know. Three truths that we have to know before we get started. Number one, if you stay pure, then you can expect your relationships to add to your life and not take away from them. Do you agree with that? If you stay pure, your relationships are going to add to your life, not take away from them. Second truth we have to know, if you stay pure, then you can expect to avoid sexually transmitted diseases which are destroying your generation. We all agree with that. If you stay pure, third one, and look for a potential mate who lives by the same values that you do, then you can expect that when you marry, you will remain faithful to each other. That's a big deal today, isn't it? Remaining faithful in a marriage relationship to each other. So it sounds good, but if you fail every time uh, that you walk into life, because uh, you're walking into life only armed with head knowledge, you're going to fail, right? I mean, if, you, if you're walking into this whole idea of this being pure and staying pure and sexual immorality, and you're only walking with head knowledge, like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. I know I'm supposed to do that. And if we walk into this without a game plan, we're going to crash and burn. We have to have a game plan. You know, I used to play high school football. And when we played high school football, we'd get done with our game on Friday. And Saturday morning, we would go and we'd watch the films. We'd correct the mistakes that we'd made. We'd watch our team. And then after that, we'd watch the next week's team coming in. It's like that game's gone. We're already looking forward to next week. So we'd, we'd, we'd learn their strategy. We'd learn the plays that they were going to run. We'd learn to just begin to gauge kind of how they're going to run their offense and, and how they're going to run their defense and those different things. So that when we got to that game the next week, I mean, all week we had practiced these things. All week our scouting team or, 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 or our guys that were going up against our, our A offense, I mean, they were performing all the plays and they were doing all the things that this team, this next school, would do on game day that next Friday. So when we hit next Friday, we always had a game plan. Now you don't go against an enemy or an opponent without a game plan, do you? America doesn't go into war without a game plan. You don't go into any sporting event without a game plan if you're on the team playing. You've always got a game plan. It's the same thing when you talk about sexual immorality. When the things that this generation is struggling with sexually... You got to walk into your life, into this stage of your life with a game plan. So let's talk about that. Step one of your game plan is develop convictions. You've got to develop convictions. The first step in being successful in your dating relationships requires a personal commitment to the truth. 
We have to know the truth. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4 says this. Live a life filled with love for others. Following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. And God was pleased because that sacrifice was like sweet perfume to him. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories and other versions would just say obscenities. You know those friends of yours that bring up the argument that the Bible doesn't talk about swearing and that swearing isn't bad and that you can swear? You ever had that conversation with one of your friends? Yeah, a few of you. So other versions say obscenities, where obscenities swear words. I'm just throwing that out. That's, that's free. That's just a little side note. So verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Scripturally, the spiritual truth is and does forbid sex of any kind. That is outside of God's ordained design of one man and one woman within a marriage commitment. That's scripturally. That's it's all throughout scripture. That's what it says. So there's a couple things that we have to commit to. We have to commit to in our heads, in our minds, as we develop our own convictions, we've got to commit to, man, I'm not going to go there mentally. This is the biggest one. This is first and foremost. I'm not going to go there mentally. Meaning, I'm not going to look at someone of the opposite sex like a piece of flesh. Like a piece of meat. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to allow those thoughts to creep in. I'm not going to justify a quick peek, a quick click on the computer. I'm not going to justify that in my own heart or in my own mind. Meaning, I'm not just going to say... You know, whether it's on my iPod, whether it's on my iPod uh, or my iPhone, whether it's, you know, no matter where it's at, at home, on the computer, on the internet, wherever, I'm not going to justify it. I'm going to say, whoa, something pops up, something there. Say, whoa, I'm just going to click on that real quick. Just, what is that? You know, click on it. Just, you know, we justify it thinking it's curiosity, but we know what's going to come up. But we justify that. You've got to develop your own conviction in your own heart. This is, man, I'm not going there mentally. No matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, I'm not going to go there. Mentally, I'm not going to allow those thoughts into my head. And if that temptation or those thoughts come to my head, I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I still do this today. In the name of Jesus, I command that thought to go. That thought is not of you, God. And I reject that right now in the name of Jesus. That's what I, I just I say it out loud. I'll be walking through the airport right now in the name of Jesus. I reject that. Th-. I mean, people are looking at me funny. I mean, it's, 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 it's a little awkward, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying strong to the convictions that I've developed. All right. And I don't want that. I don't want that stuff in my head. So I'm not going to go there mentally. I'm not going to go there in the way that I talk or in the things that I joke about. That's the next conviction you got to have. I'm not going to go there in the, th- in, in the way that, uh, that I talk or in the things that I joke about. That means when you're with a group of friends at school or hanging out, what are you going to do? Have you asked yourself, what are you going to do if your friends go there and they start talking obscenities, if they start talking about, you know, coarse joking about sexual stuff and sexual things, what are you going to do? Because you've got to develop that conviction in your heart that says, you know what, if this starts happening, I'm going to walk away because I don't want this in my life. I don't want to learn about everything that God intended for me through a friend that's all wrong. You've got to be able to have a conviction that says you are going to walk away. It's the same thing when you walk into a movie theater. 
It's the same thing when you flip on your TV or you're watching a movie. You have to have a pre-decision. A, a, you have to develop a conviction that says, you know what? If a sexual scene comes on here, man, I'm turning away immediately. Plug in my ears. La, 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 la. You know, I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm not going to hear it. And then if it continues on, you've got to have the conviction that says, I'm walking away. I'm going to turn this TV off. I'm turning the channel or I'm walking out of the movie theater. I have walked out of movies before. It stinks because you paid all that money. But you know what? I was an idiot. I should have looked the movie up. Every movie that you go to see, you can look up. Go to Plugged In on Focus on the Family, and they will give you every swear word that's in there. They'll give you every sexual scene that's in there. You can look through it all. Or you can go to ScreenIt.com and get a subscription there. The day movies come out, they will have every bit of content that's in that movie. You can look it up. You can see what you're going to get into. ScreenIt.com or Plugged In. Just type in Plugged In, Focus on the Family. It'll take you right to it. All right. We've got to be smart about this. Guys, this whole idea of sexual morality and pornography and this whole sexual scene type thing, man, it has integrated our culture. It is everywhere. I mean, you can barely get away from it. So, and, and, and because of that, the enemy is using that and he's going to trap you quicker than you can say freedom or whatever you want to say. He's going to trap you. He's going to get you. He's going to lure you. He's going to tempt you. And you're going to fall into that traps. If we don't go ahead and develop some core convictions in our heart, they're going to keep us from those things. Okay? Last one there. I'm not going to go there in my lifestyle or my action. I'm not going to go there in my lifestyle or my action. It means I'm totally going to be keeping my distance from any situation that would be tempting to me to act upon. Any situation that would be tempting to me to act upon in a sexual, immorally way, whether it's on the computer, whether it's with my girlfriend, whether it's with my boyfriend, man, I am not going to go there in my lifestyle or my action. That means, man, I'm not going to get in a car with my girlfriend or my boyfriend alone and go somewhere or go on a date together. I'm not, we're not going to be alone. I'm not going to go into my basement and watch a movie with my boyfriend or girlfriend when my parents, my brothers and sisters, and everybody else is upstairs and we're down there alone. I'm not going to do that. You're just, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, you may be strong the first time, maybe the second time. You know, uh, uh, man, I bow down to you if you're strong the third time. But I tell you what, it's going to get you. You will get caught and you will uh, uh, compromise in that. So we don't even want to go there in our lifestyle, in our interactions. We just want to make sure that whenever a situation comes around that we've already made, we've already made a conviction in our minds that says, man, I'm not going to do that because I can foresee something happening. I can foresee temptation being a part there and and the enemy coming and tempting me in that situation. I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to, I'm going to position myself for holiness. I'm going to position myself for righteousness. I'm going to position myself to hear God's voice, to run hard after God, to live a holy life and be righteous and blameless in all that I do. I'm going to position myself for that. I'm not going to position myself or put myself in situations where I could possibly fail. You with me? Okay. So thoughts are seeds of future deeds. Repeat that. Thoughts are seeds of future deeds. If you go there mentally... I promise you, one day you will go there physically. Thoughts are seeds of future deeds. We have to protect our minds. We've got to protect our hearts. We've got to develop some convictions before we even get into dating relationships, which we talked about the first week. Man, 
Shouldn't even date in high school. Just try to stay away from that. But I know some of you will. So I'm giving you all this information now. You've got to make these pre-decisions before you get, even get into that. You've got to make these pre-decisions before the, these, these, I'm sorry, these develop, de- uh, you've got to develop these convictions before you even turn on that computer. Before you get a phone with internet on it, you've got to develop these convictions in your heart. All right, the second step. First step was develop convic- convictions. The second step is make pre-decisions. Make pre-decisions. So let me use another football illustration. So if you're playing linebacker or safety, I don't know if I should draw this up for you, defense. Linebacker or safety on defense. You know, they're kind of watching the play develop and knowing who's got the ball to go and just take their head off, right? They're on the defense. They're going to tackle whoever's got the ball. So if you're watching that, now you've got to make pre-decisions in that because if you see the guard who's on the line pull around, it's a really good chance that that tailback's going to get the ball and he's going to follow that guard wherever that guard's going. So you've got to make a pre-decision. If I see that guard pull out of the line and pull, that's where I'm going, man. I'm going right off the hip of that defensive end and I'm going to tackle that tailback because that's where that tailback's coming. Does that make sense? <laughs> Maybe not. I could draw it for you on the board if you want them to X's and O's, you know, but you got to, you got to be able to read and just about it. You got to be able to read what's happening, how that plays developing to know where you go. Josh Dillon's a linebacker. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. Don't you? You've got to have these reads and because you've done your game plan, because you have a game plan going in, because you know what plays they're going to run, what kind of little trick plays and little things they are going to do. You've got to make those pre reads on where people are going. So you know where the ball's going to be because you don't want them to score. You want to take their head off football talk coming out. All right. So, all right. So you've got to make pre-decisions. This is a real easy scripture to remember. Second Timothy two twenty two four twos. four twos. Second Timothy two twenty two. run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. This means you've got to make a pre-decision that says I'm going to run from anything that could cause me or stimulate me sexually or cause youthful lust in my heart at school. At school, I'm going to run from that. That means you're not going to pick this, this girl or this guy that you're all hot over to be your chemistry partner. You're not going to sit beside them every day in chemistry. You're going to have to make that pre-decision. You're going to have to make a pre-decision to make sure your eyes are focused forward and they're not wandering every time you pass some good-looking girl or some good-looking guy. Or you've got to make those pre-decisions at school. You've got to make the pre-decision if your group of friends is, begins to talk and their conversation goes south. You've got to make the pre-decision, I'm walking away. You can't make the decision on the spot. You can't wait for the circumstance to blow up in your face. You've got to make the pre-decision so it doesn't blow up in your face. Okay? So it's at school, at the movies and on TV, you've got to make pre-decisions. We talked about it a little bit. A pre-decision that says, man, I'm going to walk away if this movie goes bad. A predecision that if I'm watching on TV, go south, I'm going to walk away. All right, you've got to be able to make those decisions with your media. Media is the biggest, one of the biggest open doors that takes place. I'm going to teach you about open doors in just a little bit. But that, that the enemy gains influence into our lives through the media that we're listening to, through the media that we're watching, through the media that we're participating in and fall into agreement with because we're participating in it, because we're watching it. It's one of the biggest open doors in your generation that creates chaos and confusion. That's how the enemy gets in. That's also in daydreaming. We got to make predecisions that we're not going to daydream on anything that would be sexual, anything that would be immoral. We're not going to daydream about that stuff because I promise you the enemy is going to come with those thoughts. He's going to plant those thoughts in your head. He's going to plant scenarios in your head and you're going to have to say immediately, uh-uh, in the name of Jesus, I command that to go. 
Resist the enemy and he will flee, right? That's what scripture says. It's true. If you resist the enemy, he will flee. The problem is some of us don't really want to resist the enemy. Because we're too in love with the sin. We love the sin more than we love God. We've got to resist the enemy and he will flee. So it's daydreaming. And, it, and it's, on, it's in a dating relationship. We have to make those pre-decisions, set those boundaries so that we don't go there. You know, anytime, uh, uh, you know, in our, in our leadership group, Frontline, they have to sign a contract to be a part of that. And in there, it says that they, that, that they uh, won't date or if they're not in a dating relationship, they won't start one. But some of them, you know, want to be in there in a dating relationship or something like that. Or they'll come talk to me and just say, John, I really want to date this person. And, you know, this is what I'll say. I'll say, okay, I'll let you date him. But here's what you got to do. You got to write out a list of boundaries. I want you to get with that person. I want you to write out your boundaries. I want you to share them with each set of parents. I want you to get their approval. And then I want you to bring those boundaries to me and get my approval. And if I don't approve them, you can't date. That's what I tell them. I don't do that because I think, you know, I'm trying to like hinder their life or, you know, anything like that. I do that because I want them to be successful in it. I want them to make sure that their focus stays right and their focus stays on Christ, stays on their school, stays on their education. How many people do you know that have been in a dating or one of your friends? So one of your best friends, they enter into a relationship, then all of a sudden they become non-existent. You ever been there? Raise your hands. All over. You know why? Because that person never set their boundaries and all of a sudden their focus turned from God, family, education to Bob or Larry or whoever. All of a sudden their focus is there and man, that your friendship's gone because they just, I just want to be with Larry. I just want to, you know, or whoever, you know. I'm not making fun of anybody if their name's Bob or Larry. I'm, all right, it's just the first names that entered my mind, okay? Veggie Tales, perfect. It's a great excuse. So, at school, at the movies, daydreaming, on dates, in relationships, we have to make pre-decisions. You've got to make pre-decisions when you get on your computer. You've got to make pre-decisions if you're going to own an iPod Touch with internet access. You're going to make pre-decisions if you own a, 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 you know, a, a cell phone that has internet access. You've got to make those pre-decisions. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be on my phone if my parents aren't on the room. I'm not going to be in the internet. I'm not going to be on my phone, on the internet, late at night, laying in bed, you know, with my covers over my head. That's asking for trouble. All right? So you've got to make those pre-decisions and set those standards for yourself. Set, the, set your personal boundaries. All right? Set those personal boundaries for yourself. It's almost like David. I remember this message so clearly when David preached about personal legalism. You know, we all hate legalism, religious legalism, but it's okay to have personal legalism. It's okay to be legalistic in how you lead your life. You know, it's like, no, I'm not watching TV after my parents go to bed because I don't even want to be tempted to go to channels maybe I shouldn't go to. So I'm just not doing it. That's, being, that's setting a boundary for yourself and being personal, legalistic about something that other people might make fun of you of. But who cares? You're living holy. You're living blameless. You've got God's anointing. You've got God's favor. You're changing the world. Your friends' lives are, are changing. I mean, you're, you're experiencing his presence on a daily basis. Who cares about personal legalism? Right? All right, step three. So step one, develop convictions. Step two, make predecisions. Oh, you know what? On your sheets there, this is what I want you to do. I forgot to tell you this. I want you to initial, thanks. You got your game plan. You're filling in the blanks there. 
you know, develop convictions, make free decisions. But on the, each one of those, there's initials. If you'll commit to those things tonight, I want you just to put your initials there. And we should have pencils. Everybody got pencil or pen? No? Where's that box of pencils or pens? Can I have some interns pass those out? If you don't have one, just lift your hand up. If you don't have a pencil or pen. Most of you got them. A few of you don't. Just pass them. I want you to put your initials there. I want you to commit and put your initials under each one of these. If you're serious, if you're serious about committing to this and kind of setting your life on a new trajectory, I want you to put your initials there. So you're putting your initials under develop convictions. You're putting your initials under making pre-decisions. Everybody got a pencil? couple over here. Those guys will have them. So then there's a third one. There's a third step to this. Third step to the game plan. The third step is get accountable. Go ahead and fill in that blank there. Get accountable. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. All right? So you've got to have accountability in your life. I promise you, accountability is only going to increase the percentage that you will be successful. Accountability. And here's what I mean by accountability. I want you to get two or three people who will boldly and regularly check with you about your commitments, the commitments you're making before God, your game plan, your convictions, your predecisions that you're making. You've got to get two or three people who will regularly check with you about those commitments, people who share your passion about living God's way. And you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit, say, God, where are those people? Send me those people who could really hold me accountable in a right way. All right? So here's what I mean when I find accountability partners. I don't mean your friend. I don't mean your best friend or one of your friends at the same age, possibly struggling with the same thing. That doesn't work. If you've got two people trying to hold each other accountable who are struggling with the same thing, guess what happens? Nothing. They continue to struggle. Okay? So here's what you got to do. You've got to pray and ask and find People in your life who are a little older, a little more mature, who are doing it right, living the right way, who will hold you accountable. Almost like a mentor-type relationship. Find mentors in your life who will hold you accountable. I have one of my best friends that I still do accountability with on a weekly basis. We call on Sunday nights at like 8 o'clock my time and and 10 o'clock his time, and we just have a conversation, and we ask each other the tough questions. I have another mentor that has permission to ask me any tough question he, he wants to in my life. And, and, and I tell you, man, it, 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 is, it strengthens you. It gives you strength to push through any of those temptations because you know, man, I'm going to have people asking me about this. It's just another way to increase your percentage to be successful. So you need to get an accountability partner. If you will pray about that, if you will think about that and commit to getting two or three accountability partners in your life that will hold you accountable, I want you to initial that. Down below. That's part of your commitment. Say, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get accountability in my life. So some of you are probably asking, Pastor John, what do I do if I have failed in my purity? What do I do if I'm failing now or if I've already failed? I want to tell you, you know, one of the reasons that we fail is because we have bought into a lie. In fact, every sin that you fall into is because we've bought into a lie. The enemy is the father of all lies. He's declared a liar in scripture. And that's all he knows how to do is lie. So when these temptations come, they usually come in the form of a lie. 
So a lie like uh, this will bring satisfaction to my life. This, this, you know, this will, this will uh, you know, satisfy me in this moment. It's a lie. The lie that everyone struggles with this, so it's not really that big of a deal. Because everyone's struggling with it. It's a lie. I'm too deep. I'm in too deep to get out. That's a lie. You know, you got to look at the motives of your heart. It becomes a heart issue because are you really in too deep for God to rescue you? I mean, is God only in the business of rescuing people that are, you know, this deep or maybe just this deep, but not where you are? I mean, does God not have that power? God has the power to rescue the worst of the worst. God can rescue you, anyone in this room. So it becomes a heart issue. Do I love this sin? Do I love being in this pit more than I want rescue? More than I want God's restoration? More than I want forgiveness? Do I love this sin more than I love God? That's a lie. Next lie, I can't stop. Why continue to try? You've tried and tried and tried again. Your life has been a roller coaster. It's been sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. The same thing over and over. The day after day, maybe the week after week, you just can't seem to pull away from it. And the lie comes to you that, man, I just can't do this. So I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not going to beat myself up over it anymore. I'm just going to give in. That's a lie. You can't just give in. You have to fight. You've got to fight for holiness in your life. You've got to fight to be righteous. The enemy's not going to stop. He's not going to stop just because you said no to him four or five or six or seven times. He's going to keep plugging away. He's going to keep coming. So we have to just get it in our hearts and get it in our minds tonight that we're going to fight for purity in our lives. We're going to fight for righteousness. We're going to fight for God's favor and God's blessing and God's presence. We're going to fight to tear down any wall that we have built or that sin has created that would separate us from God. We're going to fight to destroy that. And we're going to keep moving forward and we're going to keep pressing forward. And with accountability in your life, with the game plan in your life, I'm telling you guys, you guys will be successful. Sure, there might be a trip or a fall here or there, but you'll get right back up and keep plugging forward. That's what I want you to do. You just keep pressing and pressing and pushing and fighting for what you know is right what you know is true. Just this one time isn't going to hurt anything. Last lie that we try to, that we believe in. Just this one time isn't going to hurt anything. Just this one click, just this one kiss, just this one date, just this one website. It's not going to hurt. Well, it does hurt. And as soon as you do it, it creates and gives the enemy influence into your life. And we're going to talk about that. So what if I've already failed in my purity? You know, Adam and Eve made a big mistake. Adam and Eve in the garden made a big mistake. Do you remember back in Genesis in the garden, Satan, I want you to really catch this tonight. Satan couldn't come into the garden and violently take possession of Adam and Eve. He couldn't do it. It was impossible. He had no authority He had no dominion where he had no agreement. I want you all to say agreement. Agreement. It's a word that we're going to come back to. He had no authority or dominion where he had no agreement, whether it was in the garden or with Adam and Eve. You see, dominion is power. And since humanity was given the keys of dominion over the planet, the devil would have to get his authority from humanity. 
he would have to get his authority from Adam and Eve. So because the devil had no authority over Adam and Eve, all he could do was what? All he could do was talk. That's all he was. All he could do was talk. He suggested that they eat the forbidden fruit so that they could be like God. And there's a whole lot of lies, you know, wrapped into that. Don't you want to be like God? I mean, God's holding out on you. God knows good and evil, but he's only allowed you to know good. He's holding out on you. He's not really a good God. He's not really a good father to you because he's holding you back from all of this stuff. And man, when you know all this stuff, you can be like God. You know why Satan fell? You know, Satan was created as a, 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 a guardian cherub, as a great uh, angel in the kingdom of heaven. And you know why he fell? Because he wanted to be like God. Pride. Same temptation that he struggled with is what he gave to Adam and Eve. You'll be like God. And the problem came when they listened. The problem came when they bought in to that lie. And Adam and Eve tried to become like God through disobedience and it cost them what they already had by design, which was Christ's likeness. It cost them that. They were already created in the image of God. When we try to get through our efforts, what we already have by grace, we voluntarily put ourselves under another power. So this was the devil's attempt to get Adam and Eve to agree with him in opposition to God, thus empowering the devil himself. It was through agreement, listen to this, it was through agreement and only through agreement is the enemy enabled to steal, kill, and destroy. It's only through our agreement. Satan is empowered by our agreement. Remember, believing a lie empowers the liar. So when we believe the liar, whatever the enemy is trying to sell us, we come into agreement with him. Thus, he gains a foothold in our lives to influence us. Are you with me? Okay, so let me read you this scripture. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about footholds and how the enemy gains influence into our lives. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Listen to this. If you do what is right, means obey, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, you disobey. Listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I always used to ask myself growing up, why in the world? I mean, this seems really harsh to me on God's side. Why in the world? You know, Cain is this farmer dude. You know, he raises vegetables and stuff. You know, he he brought the first of his crops there. You know, Abel's like this hunter-gatherer type man. He's out there killing meat and killing animals and and frying them over the the fire. And and so he brings this fat portion. He brings this fat portion before the Lord, and the Lord looks a favor. Cain brings his vegetables, his crops, all that. He brings that before the Lord, but the Lord doesn't look with favor on that. I'm like, well, Lord, aren't you being biased by what they do? (laughs) You know, that's how I used to think. But here's, here's the deal. Here's the reason God did not look with favor. Cain knew that God required a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what this was. Abel was obedient. He brought the blood sacrifice. Cain, in full knowledge, 
that he needed to bring a blood sacrifice did not. He was disobedient and he brought crops. He brought vegetables. So the Lord did not look with favor upon him. Now, at this moment, Cain could have said, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, I've really screwed up. Let me go. Let me go get a fat portion. Let me go bring you a blood sacrifice. But he didn't. He got angry instead. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 through 27 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So Cain allowed this anger to fester inside of him. Instead of repenting right away, he allowed it to fester. And guess what? One sin will always lead to other sins. When the enemy gets one foot in the door, he's not going to stop there. It's going to lead to other sins. And this led Cable to murder his brother Abel in the story. So let me talk to you about a foothold real quick. And this isn't just sexual sin. This isn't just, you know, sexual immorality or, or the sins. that This is any sin. This is any sin that you might deal with. Turn this door out. All right, so we see this door here, right? Pretend that this door is your life. This is the entry point to your life. Every decision that you make either opens the door to the enemy or opens the door to God. All right, every decision you make, every choice you make. You make a decision that honors God. You know, Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and have fellowship with you. I will come in and have relationship with you. Okay, so it's the same way with the enemy. You make a bad choice. You do a choice that goes against God's will, uh, a sin. The door opens to the enemy, just like it did in the story with Cain and Abel. All right, so sin is crouching at your door. So you make that bad choice. Boom, your door opens. The enemy gets a foot in there. Now, do you think the enemy is going to be happy with just one place of influence in your life? He's not going to be happy. Do you know that topos is the Greek word that means a place of occupancy? It's the Greek word for foothold. Topos. Everybody say topos. Greek word for foothold, just what we read in the scripture, and it means a place of occupancy. So all of a sudden, you make that bad choice, the enemy gets a place of occupancy in your life. Now, maybe it's not affecting you a whole lot right now. Maybe you're fighting it. But I tell you what, the enemy's not going to be happy with just a foot in the door. The enemy's going to begin to weasel his way in. And guess what? Pretty soon he's going to be in there. And he's going to be wreaking chaos and confusion all over in your life. That's how the enemy works. He's not going to be happy until you are destroyed. So when you make a bad choice or a bad decision, a sinful choice... Against God, the enemy gains influence in your life. And that's in any area of your life. And the enemy is not going to release that easily. You know why? Because you're in agreement with him. You made the choice. You gave him a legal right to come into your life and influence you. Remember, he can't do anything unless you give him dominion. And through your agreement with sin is what gives him that right to come into your life. It gives him a legal right to influence you. It gives him a legal right to come, in, come into your life and begin to steal, kill, and destroy. Begin that process in your heart and in your mind and ultimately in your life. That's how the enemy works. It goes across the board. Any sin, any decision you make. Okay, so the principle from the passage of scripture is that sin gives the devil an opportunity and opens the door and allows him a place of influence in our lives. Now, tonight, I believe you can have a new start. And if you flip your paper over there, I think you'll even see the part where it says a new start. There is healing and forgiveness. 
Some of you in here tonight have been in bondage. Some of you in here tonight cannot stop the pornography, girls and guys. Some of you in here tonight have, been, have had sexual immorality. You know, you've been touching people of the opposite sex, or maybe you've had sexual intercourse. Some of you in here have done that, and you've, you've already passed the line uh, of purity. But I'm telling you, God can restore that. God and his greatness can redeem that. And spiritually, he can restore your purity. And he can set you free from any bondage you might be in. Let's talk about this. The Bible teaches us that sexual sin, sexual sins are different from other sins. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I always wondered what that meant too, but now I know and I'm going to teach you guys and show you. When you sin sexually in the physical realm, there are consequences in the spiritual realm. Look at what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. He said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever doors you lock on earth shall be locked in heaven. And whatever doors you open on earth shall be opened in heaven. He's talking about spiritually in the spiritual realm. So the consequences of sexual sin may not always be able to be seen in the physical realm. But they are very real nonetheless. So one of the consequences of sexual sin is that it links two people together in the spiritual realm. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, she becomes a part of him and he becomes a part of her? For God tells us in Scripture that it, in his sight, the two become one person. What this means is that when they engage in ungodly sexual activity with a person, that we become linked with that person in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. Because we are linked in the spiritual realm, also the enemy will try to attack us in the same areas he attacks them because we are one. These links have got to be broken to experience complete freedom. Let me show you what I mean by this. This is why sexual sin is so different from other types of sin. Everybody see this good? Let's say, this is you. Can you guys see this? Do I have a camera on this? Oh, great. This is good. Okay. That's a girl. That's a skirt. Okay. All right. So, this girl has sex with this guy. And, and, you know, and, and, and when they have sex, it creates a soul tie. It creates a spiritual union, or what we would call a soul tie, you know, in the spiritual realm. Okay. An ungodly soul tie. So they're not married, you know, whether they've been dating for four years or it's a, it's a casual thing or just a hookup one night. Anyway, they have sex. And maybe he tells her that she's the only one. Maybe we'll do this in a scenario that this is a boyfriend, girlfriend. They've been in a relationship for about a year. And he says, no, I've never been with anybody. I want to be with you. She gives in. They have sex. There's an ungodly soul tie created, a sexual union. The two have become one flesh. But let's say he lied, which happens quite often. Let's say he lied. Let's say he had sex with three other girls. All right? And let's say that these girls had sex with three guys. I'm just going to put circles there. Okay? And let's say that these people had sex with three people which is honestly, in today's age, for teenagers, this is low. 
Having three sexual partners is, is low for the average teenager. Okay? These, are all, these circles are people. All right, so let's just, and, and who knows how many they've had sex with. But let's just stop right there. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, five, six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-four, five, six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty. So right there, all of a sudden, this one person who thought she was sleeping with her boyfriend for the first time, that he had never been with anybody, all of a sudden, according to Scripture, the two become one flesh. But this guy's one flesh with these girls. These girls are one flesh with these guys. These guys are one flesh with those girls. And all of a sudden, she's got 40 different people that whatever their open doors are in their life, maybe this one's in witchcraft, maybe this one's you know, a habitual liar, maybe, you know, whatever. whatever their open doors are, all become her open doors. The enemy is then allowed to influence her and tempt her in any way, in any addiction, in any open door of all these people. Why? Because she's one flesh with them. Does that make sense? Now you may be thinking, well, how do I get free from that? You don't even know from this part over. You have no idea. You don't even know all this stuff. But since you've had sex, all of a sudden, Chaos and confusion have started in your life. You're struggling with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of emotional stuff, all kinds of physical stuff. I mean, all that. You know why? Because the enemy's at work. Here's how you get free. You break this one. This was your choice against God. This was your sin. You repent of this. You ask God to break the soul tie. Boom, you break this. You break all the rest of it. None of it can influence you. None of it can come out. That's the grace of God. You see, sexual sin is this huge web of entanglement that many of us don't even know what we're into. We have no idea. It's just a huge web of entangled sin that we find ourselves in. And tonight I want you to set, I want to set you free from that. I want God to set you free from that. I want God to have his way in your life. So there's one more section I just want to read really quick. It's called Ungodly Soul Ties. It's on your back sheet. Just one paragraph there. Let me read this to you. I, want you, I really want you to understand this cleaving together, this, this, this bonding that takes place. And it doesn't even have to be sexual intercourse, guys. This type of bonding, it can be an emotional bond. It can be a, a bond that takes through through just touching each other. It can be a bond that's set there as well. So a soul tie is a cleaving together. A relationship whereby two souls are joined or knitted together and in a sense become one. An ungodly soul tie is formed outside of godly context and against godly admonitions. There are different kinds of ungodly soul ties, which I'm not going to go into tonight because we're just talking specifically about the sexual one. The danger of a soul tie is that you become joined with another in the spiritual realm. And if the person you have a soul tie with opens the door to the enemy, because you are joined to them, you also are open to the influence of the enemy through their open doors. The enemy's legal right to you exists through them because you are disobedient in forming an ungodly soul tie. In other words, choices they make and open doors in their life become choices you make and open doors in your life. The most important soul tie we can have is a godly soul tie. And there are godly soul ties. When we become one with Christ, that's a godly soul tie. And scripture talks about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts and members of Christ? So should I take part of 
Christ and join him to a prostitute? Never. And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, she becomes a part of him and he becomes a part of her? For God tells us in scripture that in his sight, the two become one person. But if you give yourself to the Lord, you and Christ are joined together as one person. Two more scriptures and then we're gonna, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit. Matthew chapter 5, 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guys, do you realize that soul ties can come through a computer? Soul ties can be created through the lust of, of, of a specific person through just seeing pictures of that person. Soul tie can be created. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So on your sheet there, there are two sections. If the worship band wants to come up, why don't you guys come up, get ready. We're just gonna take some time tonight and we're just gonna work through some of these things together. We've got, we've got about you know, 10 minutes and I just want you guys to really spend this next 10 minutes between you and God. There's freedom from, there's a section on there in the first page, freedom from sexual sin. Here's how it works. We've talked about this. We've talked about open doors. Here's what you do. You can go through that list. You can mark those things on that list that you've been involved with. This is between you and God. You don't do this with a friend or anybody else. You can mark the things in that list. And then here's what you do. I've already got a prayer written out there for you. There's nothing special about this prayer, nothing magical about this prayer. You just need to pray this prayer from your heart. This is a prayer between you and God. And you fill in the blanks. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have involved myself in pornography. I ask you now to forgive me for my sin of pornography. I choose now to turn and you just go through. Each one of those things you marked, I want you to pray that prayer for each one of those things. And I promise you, when you pray that from the heart, God will break those bondages. He will break those chains. He will forgive you and he will redeem and restore your, pur- your purity. On the other side, There's a prayer for soul ties. If you've had sex with someone, you are one with them in the spiritual realm. And you need to break that soul tie. And you can read right through that and pray that prayer. It's all laid out for you. And you can break that soul tie when you pray that from your heart. So the band's going to start to play. And this is what I want you to do. You can go sit over on the side. You can stay in your seat. You can go, you can come up, put your paper on the stage and write stuff. I want you to pray these prayers out loud. Listen, I want the enemy to hear you praying these things. The enemy needs to hear you praying these and your confession and your repentance. And I promise you, God is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins when you confess your sins to him. Okay? Is everybody with me? Does everybody understand? This is a time just between you and God because I want you to find freedom tonight. I want you to have that freedom. You can go sit against the wall. You can stay in your chair. You can stand. You can go, I want you to stay in this room. Don't go out of this room. And I'm just going to give you a few minutes here just to walk through this. And then I'll dismiss you. When you're done with that paper, filling this out, praying through it, I want you to crinkle this thing up. Crinkle it up tight, smash it all up. I'm going to have a trash can right up here in front. I want you to come and throw that in that trash can. It's just symbolic that it's gone, that it's out of your life. That it's done. And that you're starting fresh and new. You're going to develop a game plan and you're going to move forward with God. All right, ready, break. You can get up and move and go where you need to go. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. 
because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.